Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Triple S Podcast. This is your host, Brandon Smith, and as I said yesterday on Instagram, just want to apologize again, though, uh, for not being able to get this episode to you guys yesterday on Saturday, as these episodes are usually scheduled. I had some plans yesterday with the family and with the ladies, so wasn't able to get the episode down yesterday, but... You know, we're here one day late, better late than never, as I always say. And with that being said, let's get right into it. So we have a couple things to talk about on this week's episode of the podcast. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened with Carson Wentz in the NFL. Also want to talk about yesterday's UFC card, which was headlined by Curtis Razor Blades and Derek Lewis, uh, which was a hell of a card. I had to watch it later, but it was uh, it was a great card. Watched most of the, the bigger fights. And last but not least on this episode, we're going to be getting to our Instagram Q&A. So once again, if you haven't followed me already on Instagram, it's at the Triple S Podcast. Uh, so I posted a Q&A, fan takes, all that kind of jazz, whatever you wanted to say that you wanted me to read on the podcast. So I'm going to read those as well. And uh, let's get right into it. So I was just talking about the fan takes Q&A, that segment uh, from Instagram. Uh, and that was actually supposed to be on last week's episode, so I actually forgot to put it into last week's episode, but I have the question still. So since it was supposed to be last week, we're going to start there. And the first comment we have here is, John Morant reminds me of a young pre-injury Derrick Rose. Uh, that That is a great take. If you think about what makes John Morant great, he's a freak athlete. Uh, he's not the, you know, the world-class shooter like a Steph Curry is or... But what he has and what Derrick Rose also had in his prime pre-injury is that same kind of first step, you know, that burst, that athleticism to get to the rim, make athletic plays. Uh, And they're also, I would say John Moran is a really good passer as well. Uh, I've seen him make some nice dimes, usually has a pretty good stat line with a couple assists on there. But I definitely definitely see the, uh, the resemblance and I can see how that take came to be. So that's a good one. All right, we're going to move on to the second one now. Uh, ever noticed that athletes in the 70s and 80s look like they were 45 when they were 23? Uh, I think a big part of that is the facial hair, because I'm just trying to imagine like NBA players and even some NFL players like, uh, who, what's a good example? Walter Payton is a good example. On the Chicago Bears, this man had like the handlebar mustache. He rocked a headband, had like a jerry curl. And when you see that, you think of old people, because that's what we, that's old people to young people, pretty much. But he was probably like, you know, in his 20s at that point. So, yeah, definitely. All right. So this next one is a little bit more of a personal one, but that's all good. So this one is favorite football memory first that comes to your head. And if we're going first that comes to my head, I would have to say uh, I'll throw it back to my senior OVFL season playing for the Cumberland Panthers. My last season as a Cumberland Panther uh, before I headed to play university football. And it was our season opener, you know, first game of the year. Got to set the tone for the rest of the season. And I ended up putting up seven catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. So that was, uh, you know, definitely makes you feel good heading into the rest of the year that you can have a productive and successful season. So I would say that's probably the first one that comes to my mind. And here's the next one we have. Do you think Mahomes is really that guy or do you think we're sleeping on someone? Um, I think both can be true. I, I definitely think Mahomes is that guy. I wouldn't I wouldn't say Mahomes is not that guy. Everything that we've seen so far, uh, there's nothing you can really point at 
that would suggest anything other than Mahomes being that guy. Uh, but I also think that people don't give enough love to uh, players on other teams that may be in different circumstances. Like, can you look at Deshaun Watson and tell me that if you put him on the Kansas City Chiefs with Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, all the weapons that Patrick Mahomes has, do you can anyone sit here and say that he wouldn't do better or at least the same? Deshaun Watson is widely considered to be, uh, you know, at least the top two or top three NFL quarterback right now when you factor in things like age and uh, athleticism and everything moving forward. It's most people will say Patrick Mahomes one, Deshaun Watson two. But if, if you really look at what Deshaun Watson has had to overcome versus what has uplifted Patrick Mahomes, to me, if you were to Role reverse, I honestly think that Deshaun Watson could do the same, if not better, than Patrick Mahomes does. So I think maybe we're sleeping on Deshaun Watson because look at look at the facts here. He had Bill O'Brien, who was obviously a detriment. He had DeAndre Hopkins taken away, another detriment. He has a very, very lackluster O-line, and his receivers right now are also they're not saying too, too much. Will Fuller is pretty good when he's available, which is not very often. And, you know, like I said, despite all of that, he's still considered top two when it comes to who would you like to have as your quarterback moving forward as a franchise. He's top two behind Patrick Mahomes. But the thing is, you know, I'm saying all this to say that I think that he could do the same or better. But the thing is, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen the 50 touchdown season. We haven't seen the Super Bowl, the MVP we haven't seen the Madden cover yet. I think, like I said, if you roll reversed it, that right now Deshaun Watson could have, you know, a Super Bowl, an MVP, uh, and a Madden cover if he was on the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, one thing I do want to take note of that is going to apply to both guys is these guys are going to have fat salaries coming up in the next two seasons. So for Mahomes, it starts next year where he jumps up from $5 million to $24 million, so a $19 million increase. Uh, this offseason or this season, sorry, it's only a, uh, let me see here, it is a $6 million increase for Deshaun Watson, who goes from 9 to 15. So like I said, two years for Deshaun Watson, because in 2022, his 15 jumps to 40. So he goes 9, 15, 40. And then Mahomes, on the other hand, he goes from 5 to 24. And then after the 24 season, he jumps up again to 31, and then after that, it's 42. So these guys are going to have big-time numbers to pay. So I always say a guy can be great on a rookie deal, but you know he's great if he's doing exceptionally well when he has big money because that means he has less around him as a team. So, All right, so that wraps up our Q&A uh, Instagram segment of the episode. We're now going to move on and talk about the Carson Wentz trade, which went down between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. So... The first thing I want to say uh, to jump into this subject is I honestly think this trade was a win-win. I think that the Philadelphia Eagles won by getting a third round pick in the 2021 draft and a what is most likely going to end up being a first round pick in the 2022 draft, which gives you two first rounders uh, next year, which is huge. So as you heard me say, uh, I said most likely going to be a first round pick next year. So it is a conditional second round pick. Uh, and the condition means if Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps 
for the Indianapolis Colts and they go to the playoffs, or if he just plays 75% of the snaps at quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts in 2021, that second round pick flips into a first round pick. And you know, with the Colts just having Phillip Rivers retire, I don't think they're too sure on Jacoby Brissett, obviously, because they made this trade. So it looks like Carson Wentz will be the starter. The only thing that'll keep that second round pick a second round pick is if Carson Wentz continues to play how he played in Philadelphia and gets benched or if he gets hurt, which has also happened to him in the past. Obviously, never want to wish that on a guy, but uh, that's probably the only insurance that the Colts have to keep their second round pick. They gave up a second round pick. Now, here is why I say that I think both teams won. So when you look at each side of this trade before and after, I think both sides got better. Because when you look at Philadelphia, Carson Wentz was damaged goods. He was no longer going to be their starting quarterback. They had a bunch of money tied to him, so it, it didn't look good. Getting anything back for that guy was honestly heaven sent. To get a third round pick and more than likely also get a first round pick next year, that is huge for them. So I think the Eagles definitely won in this trade. And then when you flip over to the Indianapolis Colts, so their their win is a little bit less of a win right now, but it can end up being a huge win, and I think it will. Carson Wentz in the past has flashed. He had a MVP-type season when Nick Foles finished it, you know, after Carson Wentz got hurt. He's athletic. He's mobile. He has escapability. Uh, he has arm talent. You know, he's got a strong arm. He has the he has the factors and he has the attributes that it takes. I think he only really struggled with the mental game. You know, things like playing poorly and having fans want Nick Foles or want Jalen Hurts or getting benched. Those things are going to be in the rearview mirror of Philadelphia. So hopefully, you know, you give a guy a clean slate and you give him who his offensive coordinator was when he was flying high in Philadelphia. That's going to be his new head coach. So hopefully, you know, having that connection as well can help bring Wentz back to MVP or playoff form even because when you look at Indianapolis, they have a great roster. So all Carson Wentz really has to do is be average because he can lean on the offensive line and the run game and then kind of work off of play action if Frank Wright is smart. Do something like what Ryan Tannehill does in uh, Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill, very similar to Carson Wentz in a lot of ways. But, you know, as we've seen, he looks a lot better when he has an offensive line and a running game to lean on. And all of that combined is kind of why I'm going to say that I think Indianapolis also won in this trade. They didn't give up too much either. You know, when it when you see what was given up for Matt Stafford, and then you only gave up one probable first and one third, that's not bad. Uh, you didn't give up multiple firsts. You didn't even give up more than two draft picks. You didn't give up any players either. So I think that overall, it was a good trade for both sides. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. All right, so now we're going to switch lanes and talk about the UFC card that went down last night. Headlined, again, like I said, by Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. Uh, there's a few fights and a few things that I want to talk about. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is missing weight. It's uh, something that I'm starting to see a trend of in the UFC. I haven't been a fan for that long of the sport, but... For as long as I've been a fan, which is about a year at this point, maybe a little over a year, I've started to notice that more often than not, you know, most cards will have a couple people that miss weight. And uh, it's something that I am starting to get annoyed with because it does provide you with a certain advantage. Uh, people that are getting down to the proper weight, they're doing the proper nutrition, and they're cutting the weight correctly as well. They're 
taking a huge toll on their bodies that people that miss weight are not doing. Uh, to do, you know, the week before fight, uh, exhaustive sauna sessions and cutting down what you eat and what you drink to make the weight. And then the person across the octagon from you doesn't do the same. They're going to be fresher. They're going to be in better condition. So there was a few fighters on this card that missed weight. Uh, I believe in total there was four. One missed weight so bad that they had to cancel the fight. It was a record. I believe it was 11 and a half pounds that this fighter was overweight. Uh, but the other fights all were able to proceed. And the fighters who missed weight were 1-2 and two in their three fights. The first one was between Eamon Zahabi and Draco Rodriguez. Uh, Draco Rodriguez missed weight for the weight, And I believe the limit is 135. And he came in at 140, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so he got knocked out in round one, which was kind of nice. Uh, the second one was Jared Gordon against Danny Chavez. Uh, Jared Gordon missed weight for featherweight, which uh, the limit is 145. He came in at 150 and a half, so missed it by four and a half pounds technically because you're allowed one pound of grace. Uh, so he won uh, by decision in round three. That was a little tough to see, you know, because he came in five pounds or four, four and a half pounds over and then to win by decision. And Danny Chavez did look decent in the fight. You wonder what would have happened if both guys made weight. And then the third one was the co-main event between Caitlin Vieira and Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, Vieira came in overweight for women's bantamweight. Uh, I believe she was over by five and a half pounds. And she lost by decision. That was a really good fight. Came down to the wire. And I think Kunitskaya actually stole the fight right at the end where she uh, was able to flip the dominant position. Vieira had top position. And then right near the end, I believe there was a minute left. Kunitskaya flipped her over, got some serious ground and pound, and was able to get the win by decision. Alright, so a couple other fights that I do want to talk about from the card that I enjoyed. And the first one was between Nate Landwehr and Julian Arosa. Uh, Nate Landwehr was actually the favorite to win the fight. And at the start of the fight, he looked the part for sure. He came out putting on pressure. And at one point, he even dropped Julian Arosa with a right hook, I believe it was. It might have been a left hook. Uh, they were in the clinch, and he threw a very short, tight hook, dropped Arosa. Arosa got right back up to his feet, though, and kept trading with uh, Landwehr, threw a bunch of uppercuts again in the clinch. Uh, and at one point, he actually stunned Nate Landwehr, and he started backing up. So Arosa started closing the distance down, ran, jumped at him, and delivered a flying knee uh, at one minute in knocked out Landwehr. He got up right away and started protesting to the ref. But when you look at the replay, it didn't look like he had his guard up. And uh, Arosa was right on top of him with his fist cocked. He was about to deliver some more ground and pound shots. So yeah, you may have recovered because you didn't get blasted three more times. But you weren't, he didn't look like he was defending himself. He had just crumbled to the ground after the knee. And the ref, I think it was a good stoppage came in and uh, prevented any follow-up shots. All right, now moving on to the main card. Another fight that I really like was the first fight on the main card and the second of four heavyweight fights on this fight card. Tom Aspinall, a young man out of the Great Britain, took on former champion at heavyweight Andre Arlowski. And I really like this fight because I haven't seen too much Tom Aspinall. This being only his third fight in the UFC, I don't think I've watched either of the first two. Uh, it was cool to see how skilled he was. Uh, he was very good on the feet. He looked quick for a heavyweight. 
he uh, looked pretty slim. Like, they did an interview with him, and I would have guessed that he was, like, a middleweight. And then they show his full body, and he's a heavyweight. So I'm like, oh, shit. And especially because he's training with uh, Darren Till, who fights at welterweight. So all that together, I kind of assumed he would be a, uh, a smaller fighter. But like I said, he fights at heavyweight. Uh, but that factored in because he looked very light on the feet. Uh, he was very quick in his strikes. He was doing very well against Arlowski and ended up getting a round two submission win to uh, secure the W. So I enjoyed that fight a lot. Uh, next fight I want to talk about is the third last fight of the night. It was a, another featherweight fight. Uh, a lot of featherweight on this card and a lot of heavyweight on this card. But it was between uh, Charles Rosa and Derek Minner. And I think I enjoyed this one because there was a lot of technicality involved in it. And I want to give a shout out to Michael Bisbing on the uh, commentary. So this fight was exciting to me because there was a lot of ground game. Uh, for most of the fight, Derek Minner was in top position uh, on Charles Rosa, who was on his back for the most part of the fight. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Charles Rosa was not dangerous. He throws up submissions like nobody's business. So at various points in the fight, you know, Charles Rosa was throwing up arm bars. He was trying to get triangle chokes. He was trying to reverse uh, position, get arm bars, you know, Kimuras. He was trying all types of different things to get submissions. Uh, but Derek Minner was very technically sound on the ground. I believe they said he has a wrestling background. So he kind of was able to sense uh, the traps that Charles Rosa was trying to get him in and avoided all of them and ended up getting a decision win. Uh, and I believe it was a 15-minute fight and um, Derek Minner had 12 minutes or it was a little over 12 minutes of control time, which is pretty much the entire fight. But, you know, like I said, it was a very technical fight and I enjoyed when Charles Rosa was attempting to set up submissions. The commentary team was letting you know, okay, oh, you see how, you know, Charles Rosa threw his leg up there or how he scooted his knee to be just inside the hip of Derek Minner. They were giving the little tells of what the individuals were doing, what the fighters were doing to set up uh, submissions. And Michael Bisping was also, you know, saying how Derek Minner was avoiding these submissions. Okay, so you see Derek Minner's going to slip his arm out there. He's got to turn his hips towards the cage or towards the canvas. All types of different technical stuff like that was really, really fun for me to watch and enjoy. And the last fight that I'm going to talk about is the main event, which was crazy between Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades. Um, so this fight was crazy because Derek Lewis has the most knockouts in UFC uh, heavyweight history. And on the other side of the octagon was Curtis Blades, who has the most takedowns in UFC heavyweight history. So these two guys are very, very good at what they do, but they do two very, very different things. Uh, that being said, Curtis Blades is also a dangerous striker. Most people in heavyweight, you know, they, they hit hard. And if they don't, then they probably wouldn't survive for very long in heavyweight. This fight was also huge because it had huge title implications. So uh, the next fight for the title is obviously determined already. I believe it's going down March 27th. And it is between Stipe Miocic, the champion, and uh, Francis Ngannou, who is the number one contender. After that, the number two contender is Curtis Blades, who is in this fight. The number three contender is Jarzinho Rosenstrike, who is fighting Cyril Gagne, number seven, uh, later on in this month in February. I believe it's next week that that fight goes down, uh, February 27th. I might be wrong on that. 
Um, but so the basically the layout of the heavyweight division as it stands. Uh, obviously, the Stipe versus Francis Ngannou fight is going to go down in March. After that, uh, Dana White has been quoted on TMZ as saying that uh, the next fight after that is going to go to John Jones at heavyweight. He wants the winner of Stipe versus Francis. Uh, and they asked him again on TMZ uh, Sports, uh, is he going to get that fight? And Dana White pretty much confirmed, yeah, he's going to get that fight. You know, he's John Jones. He's that guy. If John wants that fight and he's going to fight, we're going to let him fight. Uh, but where it gets interesting is, you know, as I said, the main event of this card was between the number two and the number four ranked heavyweight contenders. So uh, Curtis Blades was ranked number two. Derek Lewis was ranked number four. And right now, you know, there's a short list atop the heavyweight division. It kind of goes, uh, Stipe Miocic is obviously number one. And then you have Francis Ngannou and John Jones are kind of in that that upper, upper echelon where they're going to, they're confirmed, you know, getting title fights, champions, that kind of upper, upper echelon. That's a short list. It's three names. This fight here between Derek Lewis and uh, Curtis Blades, I think is to enter that conversation. Either one of those guys wins that fight. I think that they enter the conversation. They enter the chat, as people say. And when we look at what happened in the fight, uh, Curtis Blades was a, a heavy favorite. He was such a strong wrestler, always gets a bunch of takedowns, and is devastating once he gets you on the ground. Uh, people haven't seen that great of work from Derek Lewis on the ground on his back, per se. So I think a lot of people assume that, you know, Curtis Blades, he's done it to everyone. He'll get Derek Lewis on the ground, and from there, it'll kind of be a wrap. Derek Lewis does, ha as I said, have the KO King uh, crown for having the most KOs in heavyweight history. But a lot of people didn't see him pulling it out. He was a heavy underdog in this fight, as I said. But this fight, you know, I mentioned everything that was so exciting about it. Delivered one more time with something super exciting once again. And Derek Lewis had the improbable uh, underdog win. And again, I'm going to give another shout out to Michael Bisming because he kind of called it out. So... As I said, you know, uh, Curtis Blades is a big-time takedown artist. He shoots in for a lot of takedowns. He's usually successful. So at one point during the fight, uh, Michael Bisping kind of said that uh, the way that Derek Lewis's posture was, and he kind of did a couple feints, was that he was hinting that there were uppercuts coming. And an uppercut is super effective, as Bisping was saying, against a guy who likes to do takedowns because, for one, even if you miss, you're going to end up with an underhook. You know, which gives you a certain amount of control. And number two, if you land it, that momentum plus the momentum of the guy going in for the takedown, it can be a catastrophic hit. And that's exactly what happened in round two. Uh, Curtis Blades did a couple feints and then he dove in for a takedown. Derek Lewis had a perfectly timed power uppercut right on the chin of Curtis Blades. He folded over and Derek Lewis followed it up with two or three shots made sure he was out like a light, did his classic celebration that everybody loves. And uh, that was, to me, it was a perfect way to cap off a very good UFC fight card. So with that being the capper for the UFC fight card, it's also going to be the capper for this episode of the Triple S Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and rocking with the show. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Triple S Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe. If you're on another platform, subscribe as well because we're going to be dropping lots more episodes in the coming days and weeks. 
Uh, we're going to be doing a post-free agency mock draft 2.0 for the show. We're also going to be doing some stuff with NFL free agency, uh, talking about where I think some of the top guys are going to land. So make sure you subscribe. Now, with that being said, I am out. Peace. Until the next time. Yeah. This be a life, no gimmick.